might have been enough of a message right there. That was uh, that was good. It's good stuff. Boy, those kids are smart. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's obvious. But for some reason, when it comes to spiritual matters, that truth is not obvious to very many people. Yet it is that simple. When God promises, he delivers. There is no if, ands, or buts. There's no exceptions to the rule. When God has promised something, he is faithful to perform. And that is not an aberrant Christian doctrine that I am proposing to you. That is the most center-of-the-line Christianity you can get. God is faithful. Now, I've been building sort of a case over the past few weeks, you, and I've been dealing with the nature of God, and we started in dealing with the nature of God. We were dealing with the fact that he is a father. The first word in the Hebrew language, Ab. The first word in the new birth, Abba, Father. It is a recognition that our God is good, that he is faithful, that he loves us so much, and he has grafted us into his very family. We have a massive misunderstanding of his fatherhood. A lot of us are actually scared of him as a father because we relate his fatherhood to the fatherhood we've experienced in our own earthly fathers. But we need to realize that the template for fatherhood is not our earthly fathers, but God. And when you recognize his nature, and if you haven't heard those messages, they're online, you need to hear them. Some of you just need a fresh infusion of understanding of the true nature of our God. Because when you awaken to it, it gives strength. It's like an elixir to the soul. Because you realize, hey, I can trust God. I can. You know, one of the biggest problems in Christianity, I know this is going to seem like a weird problem to have in Christianity, is doubt. Why would doubt be floating around in Christianity? Because isn't Christianity about faith? Doubt is the opponent to faith. It is literally the thing that gnaws like a rat gnawing on cheese. And cheese is the substance of your soul. That rat known as doubt will eat you away. There will be nothing left of you if you allow that rat to continue in your pantry. You treat doubt as an arch enemy. If a man is struggling with lust, well, guess what? It's fairly obvious you should do something about it. That is killing his soul. But doubt is deadly. It is a poison to the soul. But our modern Christian world has actually, I mean, there's a, one of the leading books on faith in the modern Christian world actually says that doubt is the skeletal structure upon which faith is grown. That is absurd. Doubt is literally a sin as defined in Scripture. Hey, I didn't come up with it. That's God's opinion on the matter. It is not the skeletal structure on which you put the flesh of Christianity. That is ridiculous. It is preposterous. And this book won the gold medallion award in Christianity. Okay, you just found my, out my opinion on the matter. I have a tendency to share my opinions on things like that when they get me riled up. I didn't share the name of the book. You have to figure that one out for yourself. <laughs> Maybe I should, but uh, it is preposterous. It is a book about doubt, not a book about faith. It is trying to explain away true faith and replacing it with doubt as a normative condition in the human soul. And that is not how Christianity works. We are supposed to be solid in our soul to say, this is who my God is, and I will not move. And they say, well, what if this happens? I will not move. 
well, what about this? I will not move. How could you be so certain, Eric? Because God promised. And I believe God over any natural circumstance this world could throw my way. I don't care if mountains are crumbling to the sea. I don't care if the financial system is in ruins. I don't care if I have nothing in my bank account. I don't care if I have nothing in my pantry. My God is faithful. That is Christianity. It's always been that way. Whoever reinvented it and somehow passed it off on us, I don't know how this has happened. Satan. He's a master of deceit. And the problem is our guard is not up because most of us are flailing around in doubt. And when someone starts saying, hey, it's normal, and they don't say fight it, they don't say kick it out, and we start absorbing these things in and, and treating them as bedfellows with us, and everyone is doing it, pretty soon it becomes normal. And that's where we're at in Christianity today. Doubt has no place in our life. I know how easy it is to cultivate it. I know how easy it is to sponsor it in our life. I'm not saying it's not easy. There's a lot of things that are easy. Any type of sexual sin, I guarantee you, there doesn't take a lot in your life to fall for it. You want to cultivate anxiety and fear, it doesn't take much, and you can cultivate it. To cultivate dark dimensions of your life are easy. To go in the opposite direction and to cultivate life and light and holiness, things that bring true zest and a picture of kingdom life on earth, very difficult. In fact, you cannot do it. That's the, the ironic twist to it. You can slide downhill with ease. You cannot climb uphill. The mountain of the Lord is impossible to climb. His holy hill is so steep and so treacherous. There's only one who's ever been able to climb it, and that's Jesus Christ. And so he basically is saying to us, and this is what Christianity is. I'm, I always give Christianity in a nutshell. Here's another little nutshell for Christianity. Let Jesus carry you up the mountain of the Lord. He's the only one that can scale it, and somehow he can scale it with one hand and hold you in the other. That's impressive. That's Jesus. He's able to climb that mountain, and he will carry you up it if you are willing to go that direction. Okay, let's see if I can get into my message. That was still, you know, associated with my message. The test of faith. Now, <clears throat> I love the, the topic of faith. It's a dangerous topic in our day and age because if you start dealing with the topic of faith, you can easily get lumped with faith movement. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. I'm not going to spend any time on it because I don't want to talk about it. But the point is, there is a dimension of training in the Christian world today that has perverted the notion of faith into some sort of soul energy or like you convince yourself you say it to yourself enough time it's like mind over matter that isn't what faith is it has nothing to do with faith and or positive thinking if I just think good thoughts about God or I think good thoughts about my life I want to be strong I want to be successful that who's the who's the guru that goes around and is always talking about positive thinking. He's a big guy. No one's going to help me on that one. That's not what Christianity is. You guys didn't help me, so I couldn't fill in the gap. What's his name? I still want to fill in the gap. He's a guy. Tony Robbins. That's Tony Robbins talking to you. Think good thoughts about yourself. Picture your future, where you want to be. That isn't Christianity. 
This isn't some mental game. God tells you how to shape your mind, shape your thoughts. Think on these things. Think on things that are true. Focus your life on Jesus Christ and build your life around him, and your life will work his way. It will succeed in accordance with his pattern. You yield to his way, and it's extraordinary. Life works, but we cannot do it any other way. I'm not going to say it's, you need to think dark thoughts. It's not the opposite is true. I'm just saying faith is not positive thinking. Faith is true thinking. It's something that is true, and you can take it to the bank. It is, if God said, this is true, Eric, then I say, my God said this is true, so I agree with him. I'm not trying to think positively. I'm saying God's right. I agree with him. So let's uh, get going on here. This first word is sort of like Pokemon, uh, Dokimion. Uh, and it's a very interesting word in the Greek. And I, I've given you sort of a, a definition for it, but I have some big words in it, so I might need to explain it a little deeper. The process of proving sterling coinage. See, I, the process of... of testing or trying or proving the purity of metal, okay, but coins specifically because coins have value for trade and commerce. And so this is a word that in that time they would literally prove it and bake it down or, or melt it down and prove if it has any alloy in it or any mixture, any other substance in it. And if it did have another substance in it, well, then it had to be purged. Or it was not as valuable. It, was, it, was, it was not pure in its form. Therefore, its value was decreased. And it didn't have the same trade value in commerce. Okay? So this is, I, I, I'm going to get this, I want to say Pokemon, but Dokameon. Uh, the process of proving sterling coinage and demonstrating it to be genuine without alloy. So what do you have in your soul? Because... Faith is the currency or the exchange, the coinage, the, the money. That's a, I don't like the term, but this is what you transact with in the natural realm as a Christian. If you want to see spiritual things happen in your life and progress in your life, then you need the coins of faith. That's how you move things forward as a Christian. So it's like, how do I find victory in my life? How do I find joy in my life? Peace. These basic component parts of Christianity. How do I find success over these things that have been keeping me down? How, if I'm struggling with fear and anxiety, how do I go past that and literally live with a stable, secured soul? Your coinage or the, the, the material you need or the currency you need is faith. That is what transacts in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I called this message the test of faith because a lot of us have something within us. But God, by his very nature, in how this system works here on earth, we have heaven and earth. In this system down here, the things that are real and true are unseen. This is what's very challenging about the Christian life, by the way. Because and many of you have had this thought at some point in your life. If Jesus had just stayed on earth, why did he have to leave us? I mean, come on. Imagine Jesus strolling in and giving this message tonight. It'd be a lot better message. We all know that, okay? It, what if Jesus had just stayed here? Why did he have to leave? 
Because if he just stayed here and he could hold up his hands and we could see the wounds and the fact that we, he could show us his birth certificate from 2,000 years ago. And, you know, he has his whole retinue with him that could testify to the fact that, yeah, and they're like 99-year-old men. Uh, and they could say, yes, and he has been around, you know, he was still, you know, just 30 years old back in my day, too. Uh, and so it's like this testimony before the nations to say, this is God on earth. It's a lot better plan, don't you think? Instead... He left, and he actually said, it is better for you that I go. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us, but he's given us something. And that is what we need to wrap our understanding around, is that he's given us himself. It's not Jesus on the outside, it's Jesus on the inside. And he says, let me have those hands. Let me have this body of yours. Let me live my life in and through you. I will enable you. As opposed to being an outside influence on our life, giving us truth. He says, I need to come inside of you and make it happen. Because as long as I'm on the outside, I can't fix you. I've removed the barrier of the problem. That's what I did at the cross. But now I need to come in and make it happen. It is better for you that I go to be with the Father. Why? Because he's going to send something to us. And that is his very life. The spirit of almighty God. So in this process, heaven, earth... We have to grapple with the fact that all of these things that are purchased on the cross are not evidenced. For instance, all things are now under Christ's feet. Well, it doesn't look that way in this world. If you were to say, who's in control in this world? You'd say, you know, maybe President Obama. You'd have something like that. Or maybe the Illuminati, if you're a conspiracy theorist. Someone is in control, but it definitely doesn't seem like God is. Okay, let's just be honest here. If God was in control, it would look a lot different than this. That's just a statement of fact. Okay, I'm not diminishing God. I'm saying, as a statement of fact, if God was in control of this earth, it would look different than this. Instead, it's chaos on this earth. Darkness rules and reigns. And yet Jesus said, it is finished. Well, there's, there's a problem here. There's a discrepancy. No, there's no discrepancy. It's finished and it's accomplished. Everything that is needed for life and godliness has been purchased on the cross. But faith is what grabs a hold of what's in the heavenlies and brings it to this earth and makes it real. And so if the people of God don't have faith, then this purchase that is real, real and vibrantly alive in heaven does not come to this earth and evidence itself. This faith must be in the people of God or this world will not see the purchase of the cross in reality. They will only hear about it, but they will see defeat in the lives of those that testify of it. This world must see victory because victory was the purchase of the cross. Life, triumph. We always say it's eternal life that Christ purchased. He did. And that eternal life, capital L, is what you're supposed to have now. And yes, it lasts for eternity. But it's life. It's the life of God imparted to you so that you can live. You can thrive. You can smile in your soul. No matter if you're being fed to lions, put on a cross, there is joy within you. Those early martyrs went in singing songs as they were being eaten alive. What did they have? Because we need it today. Faith is what is needed. And so you could feel you know, uncomfortable and say, well, I don't, I don't know that I have that. All I have is doubt. You need faith. And, you know, again, how do you get it then? Well, 
God gives us, maybe in small measure, but we have something. There's something percolating inside of us. There's something that even causes us to come to a place like this. Even if all you have is a penny of faith, maybe your confidence in God is small, but you know he's there. You know he's out there. You don't quite understand all the inconsistencies that you've seen in your Christian experience, but you know he's there. If you have a penny, you spend it. Spend it tonight. You invest it in Jesus Christ. You say, all I have is a penny, so I'm giving it, God. The only way for faith to grow is investing it. It's the only way. If you hold on to your little penny and say, I'm scared if I invest it that I'll be disillusioned and I'll throw out the faith altogether and then I'll end up in hell. There's so many Christians that, that live that way. They are so afraid of testing God and actually digging into the soil of this earth and going after that treasure with their shovel. And digging and digging until they reach it. They're so afraid that they will never reach that treasure and then they'll be disillusioned and they'll forsake their faith that they won't even dig. That is preposterous. That isn't the solution to the matter. You have a shovel, even if it's a little spade, use it. And you look at the guy next to you and he has this whole like, uh, bulldozer type of thing. He's digging this whole thing. Well, I don't care if you only have a spade. Dig with it because you'll still get there. Yes, it's hard work. You start investing that spade and suddenly it'll multiply into a shovel. You start using that shovel and suddenly it will become that bulldozer thing. What, what are one of those machines that dig? I, I know it's on a bulldozer. Backhoe? It'll turn into a backhoe. I don't know what's after a backhoe, but I'm sure it's impressive. <laughs> All right, let's read through some scriptures here real quick. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Now, if you've read James, it starts by saying, you know, uh, rejoice when you face trials of many kinds, my, uh, many kinds, my brethren. For these trials are working something. They are doing something. They're making you complete and mature. Now, most of us don't like scriptures like this. We skip over them. However, I happen to be focusing on them tonight. The trying of your faith works patience. Trying. You know what word that is? Hmm. It's that Pokemon word, dokimion. It is the proving of your faith. It is testing it to see if it's genuine. God will smelt, I like that word, even though no one probably knows what it means. Smelt, it's one of those like metallurgy uh, words where they like uh, heat up the metal and it like, uh, what, Chris has some, uh, what, say it again? That's all you're doing? You're not heating it up? Oh, okay, at least you're heating it up. Uh, and so you're testing it. You're trying it to see what it's worth, to see if it has the substance in it. This is literally, this might seem like a mean thing that God does this to us. But God does it to us because he loves us. Because he must show us. If we're heading off on this great journey, the best thing that could ever happen to us is for us to stop when we're first going and realize that what is in our coin purse isn't going to purchase what we need for the journey. So he says, stop, let me test that. Uh, I think you need to realize that what you have is going to get you in trouble here. You think you have something, but it's not the real thing. I want you to stop and go back and get the real thing. Don't go any further. Let us understand that this will fail you. You'll go to transact, and they'll look at it and they'll say, this is, um, this is actually not a real coin, uh, this is, or this is Canadian. That, that's probably what they'll say. Uh, <clears throat> That the trial of your faith, this is in 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than, than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That the trial of your faith, 
It's the Pokemon thing again. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing will I bless thee, and multiplying will I multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now here's what I want you to catch, because this is my main point that I want to build off of. Abraham, he believed God. We all know that, because he's like this sampling of what it means to believe God. That if God says it, Abraham says I agree. I believe. I understand that this is the way it is. So Abraham believed. This is the pattern. I got all sorts of drama going on. Abraham believed. So we know that Abraham believed. It was credited him as righteousness. But we have this idea that belief or faith should just get what it believes in. It should just be no pause, no difficulty. You believe, hey, isn't that all that God requires? And you get. Instead, there's this wrinkle. And this wrinkle, a lot of us trip over. But if you understand that it's built into the package, there's a wrinkle. And that is, you believe, and then your belief is tested and proven. And then you get. Now, most of us, we believe And then we start facing the test and the trial of our faith, and we forsake our faith. Because we didn't understand that the test of our faith is part of the process. Because when you stand up in faith, your faith will be tested and proven for what it is. And those that keep standing through that test prove that they have real faith. Because faith is not shaken when the world around you Basically is saying, that couldn't happen. That's impossible. Look, your account is dry. Look, your pantry is empty. That couldn't happen. And you still stare back and you say, watch. Watch what my God will do. And God says, that's some faith there. That's faith. That's real faith because it passed the test. Faith must pass a test to be verified as real faith. If we were talking about knighthood, Say some guy whips along, and he says, I'm a knight. It's like, hey, hey, buddy, who called you a knight? He's like, I don't know. There's no knights around to call me a knight, so I'm just saying, I'm a knight. Well, you can't call yourself a knight. The only way that you become a knight is that other knights recognize you, and they're able to say, this guy's a knight because they know the standard. There's a standard for what a knight is, and so when they see it, they say, this guy's a knight. He's passed the test of knighthood. Well, there's a test for faith, but we call everything faith in Christianity today because we don't have a standard. So we're like, hey, I'm a knight. They're like, oh, that's impressive. How long have you been a knight? Oh, a week. Uh, How'd you become a knight? I prayed a prayer. We become knights overnight. That was was an interesting uh, way of saying it. Without any testing, without any proving. If you want to be a knight, if you've ever studied those old stories, there's elaborate tests. And obstacles. I mean, they have to slay dragons. This is not easy stuff. And for faith to be faith, you have to apply it. You have to give yourself to it. God's looking back and saying, do you really believe it? We say, I believe that you're a Lord, that you're the creator of the universe, that you're the master of my life, that what you did on the cross is sufficient for me. And he says, you really believe that? Like, Absolutely, God. All right. You willing to walk this out? 
so that when all the world mocks my name, that you will still say, he's my Lord. That when all the universe seems to stack itself against you, when you simply stand up to say, God, could you free me from my fear? And it seems like everything in life suddenly gets more difficult and everything that could possibly bait you to fear is actually standing taller than the mountains. Right after you said, God, I believe you can free me from my fear, it gets worse. What are you going to do now? Do you really believe your God and that he is who he says he is? Or are you just playing a game? Because this is where it is proven. If you don't stand with your God when times get tough, then you're not the stuff of a Christian. You could do all these impressive things and be missing out on the centerpiece. The thing that God says, this is what you need. This is what you need. Faith expressing itself through love. It's the center of it all. Don't miss the main ingredient. Don't miss the thing that makes the whole engine work. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Listen to this. Without wavering. Now why would it need to say that? Because it knows that wavering is very human. Wavering is just what comes when the the world stacks itself against you. When you stand up for Jesus Christ, you can know that the enemy will stand against you. The enemy hates what you are doing. And it's the greatest threat in all of the eternals. Is a man or a woman that truly believes God to be who he says he is. And so this world will turn against you. Remember that statement, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted? If you're living a godly life in Christ Jesus, it is a life of faith. It is a life that says, I actually believe it. I believe it. And you cannot move me from this rock. My life, this is, the reason I'm I'm sharing these things with you is because this is what God has been doing in me for quite a few years now testing my faith. Eric, are you in or not? You speak a big talk, Eric, but where are you in reality? I want to know. I have been shaken to the core and had to evaluate, do I believe this? Because everything in my life was stacked against it. Everything. I can't tell you how many times I've come to that dark place of realizing I believe my God, and I've professed that I believe my God. I've stood in front of audiences and said, watch, I believe my God. We can take it to the bank that he will prove faithful in this situation. And then guess what the next thing that happens is? Everything mounts up against it. Where people around me are saying, are you sure you got that right, Eric? What do you think is going through my head? God, did I get that right? God, uh, what, uh, what's going on here? Uh, Eric, remember? I'm proving you right now. Where are your eyes turned? Faith is being able to see something beyond the natural. There's a veil. That's what it's actually known as, too. A veil that separates earth from heaven. We are born in this world, and we cannot see the heavenly things. There is substance in heaven. The purchase of the cross is very real. But guess what? We can't see it. We're glazed over. And so when people talk to us about all this triumphant stuff of Christianity, we're like, I've never seen it. It's because you don't have eyes to see it. Faith 
is eyes. It's eyes of the soul being able to see past all the natural realm to see what is in heaven. And when you glimpse it, it becomes substance within your soul. It's real. It is not positive thinking. It is not wishful thinking. It is substantial. It is real. It is rock within your soul. If someone came to me and said, I don't believe that Leslie exists. Leslie is substantial within my life. I may not see her right now in front of us. You may not see her, but guess what? You cannot move me from my position and saying, my wife exists. Because I've seen her. My eyes have beheld her. The same thing is true. This is what faith is. Faith is seeing, just like I see Leslie. <laughs> just like I see Leslie. This is like... Like, all these heads are... <laughs> I was in Australia once talking. It was a very serious moment. And there was some little... There was a mom chasing a baby behind me. I had no idea. But these heads were like... <laughs> so finally I looked around, and there's this mom chasing. Uh, so <coughs> this is old home week for me. Uh, now, I was saying something very important. Uh <coughs> You're exactly right, Leslie's real. <laughs> Faith is the ability to see. And when you see it, now here, this is what I'm going to, see if I can impart this. This is one of the most difficult things for me to know how to impart. And I've asked God so many times, God, give me a language for this. When you see something, you see it in prayer. You're praying for something, you pray until you get that sight. That's what you're praying for. Because once you get the faith for it, it's done. People say, oh, I've already prayed. I just receive it as if it's there. You have to have the faith for it before you stop. If you don't gain the faith, which is the sight of soul, you see it, you know it's there, you know it's accomplished, you cannot stop. You keep praying, you keep pressing your plea, and then when you gain it, you know you have it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to experiment. Because it's very real. I press a point in prayer until I see it. And once I see it, I am immovable on that point. Okay, this college, that's exactly what it was. And I tell you what, three years of wrestling, seeing literally the mountains crumbling. I had so many moments where I would get a phone call. It's like, yeah, uh, the deal fell through. I remember driving. I was passing Panera bread company. Is that what it's called? Panera bread? It sounds funny all of a sudden. But I'm driving past it. I remember the moment because it was so vivid in my memory. Driving past Panera and I had to make a choice. All the, I had that voice of the enemy, the same voice that you get. Mine seems, you know, extra able uh, to say things, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you probably have the same one. Uh, saying, Eric, just give it up. Just walk away. You know, if you walk away now, you maybe you'll maintain a little dignity, but you were wrong, just acknowledge it. I mean, I'm hearing it. It's the whole soliloquy from hell. And I have to choose with my soul because I'm staring at a done deal. It's, it's over. It's fallen through. No. I will not yield to that voice. I know what God is doing. Watch. And I'm speaking this to myself. So it's not like I have some audience around me I'm speaking to. But for me, watch, Eric. You will see the faithfulness of your God. What was it? That night I get a call? That night the whole situation turns. This has happened so many times in my life. 
Leslie knows. You know, when we talk about gifts that people have, you know, that's a complicated issue scripturally, you know, for, for some of us, depending on what our background is. I have faith. And there are times where Leslie, we'll be Leslie and I will be talking, and, uh, and I'll say, no, it's done. She'll be like, is this one of those faith things? I go, I, I just know this is going to happen. And when I get to that point, watch out world, because I know it's done. And I stand and I stand and I stand. Now, this is a dangerous message for me to be giving, because can't you just feel God going, hmm, we'll test him again on that one. So I have to be careful here. But this is, I know, this is something I'm very acquainted with and I'm, I want to impart. And that is, if you don't see it, you might believe it's there. But there's a difference between knowing God can do something and knowing God will do something. And prayer brings you to the point, past the fact that God can, to the fact that God will. You have to know it's God. You cannot just come up with something out of your harebrain you know, and say, you know what, I'd really like this to happen. And then hold on to God for it. You have to know that it's from his heart. You have to know that it flows out of his word. And if it does, hold on to your God and you will see it happen. But you have to keep digging until you reach it. But what you're reaching is faith. What you're reaching is that sight, that concrete confidence of soul, that assurance that when someone comes up to you and says, Leslie doesn't exist, you look back at them and go, are you insane? Have you not seen my wife? That is the same assurance that rests within my soul. You can say, did you ever see these promises with your own eyes? I saw them with the eyes of my spirit. I do not know how to explain it any other way. But you, it's seen nonetheless. And when you apprehend it, remember this scripture? It's the very last one in that list uh, of where they're bold, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. How can you have evidence... And how can you have substance if it's not visible? It's because it's what I'm talking about. It is substance. It is evidence to the soul. It's not, I can't give you the evidence to you. It's something I know. And that's what God is saying. I can give you concrete evidence in your soul, but you must go after me for it. You can say, concrete? Absolutely. It's assurance at the deepest levels, and that's why God says, you need this to transact heavenly matters. You must have it. Most of us are living on what is called oligopistos in Scripture, little faith. And God rebukes it. Jesus was constantly on his disciples for it because it's a form of faith. It believes that God can do all sorts of things. But it is not a faith of a giant to be able to say God will do something. You cannot just say that. You have to know it, and it comes out of time spent with your God. You have faith. Accept the fact that your faith is going to be tested. Accept it. This is part of it. And allow God to prove to you that you can have real faith. Take your penny. Spend it on God tonight. What I told these, these kids up here, find something in your life that you know God's wanting to do. It's, it's one of those basics. Maybe you've never had joy in your life. Well, guess what? It's a basic. Maybe you're under the thumb of sin in an area of your life. Go after it. Go after it and pray until you see it. You see that strength and that victory that God says, I am your advocate. In the same way I stood for you back then, I stand for you now. Until you see that, don't just hear it from Eric's mouth. It will do you nothing. But when you see it for yourself, that is faith. Reese Howells always said, and I said this back in my message on January 3rd. 
of this year. I said, he always said that I didn't see the cross. I'd been a Christian my entire life, but I hadn't seen the cross. What does that mean? He had to see it with his with that deeper dimension of who he was, not just understand it cerebrally, he had to see it, that it was for him. And when you see that the cross is for you, suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly doubt has no place in your life because that was for you. Why, how could I stay the way I am when that was for me? When it's not for you and it's just a historic event out there, it doesn't change you. You need to see it for yourself. And that is what you're going after tonight. Go after sight. Go after that spiritual scene, the ability to see what God has accomplished. Because he wants to reveal it to you. But if he has given you that shovel, and you know that there's a treasure there, which is sight. The ability to see, the ability to be assured within your soul. Go after it. Well, what if you take a, a, a shovel full and throw it out and you don't see it yet? Should you stop? You already heard the answer tonight. Why would you stop? Because he promised. And guess what? I'm going to have to mention this again just because all of you are <clears throat> needing to just have it reinforced. He cannot lie. Our God cannot lie and he has promised. That means that you have a legal hold on your God. So if he promises, you can hold him to it to say, God, give me the sight. I need to have the faith for this. I need to be able to have that real substance of soul to be able to live this life. I don't want just head knowledge about you. I need substance within my soul. I need concrete assurance that you are who you say you are. And you will perform that which you promised. Well, I have some good juicy stuff there in the rest of the notes, uh, but I am going to, I'll just read the last verse in Romans. Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That. That is a manly scripture. Now, of course, all the girls could say, well, hey, I, I, I liked it too. I know, but it is a manly scripture. I love that. He staggered not. When he was hit with all the different things that could throw us off, and we all know, we were humans. We know the things that throw us off course from God. We know those hits that come, whether it's through an email, whether it's through a letter, whether it's through a phone call, whether it's through that whisper from a friend that goes, did you hear and it shakes us to the core. And it rocks our world. He staggered not at the promises of God. He was steadfast and sure he had an anchor of hope. You know what an anchor does? It keeps you in one place. And that's what is promised in Hebrews. Jesus is an anchor. He's not just a rock. He's an anchor. And guess what? We are on high seas in this world. This is a rough place to be a Christian. There is nothing in this world that is really helping you along in your Christian faith. It is all trying to defy it. This world is set up against you. It's not for you. That's why God says, don't be for it. Because it literally is against his agenda. There is nothing helping you. And God takes, in the middle of this chaos, he says, but I'll help you. Are you willing for a little help down there, buddy? Because I will help you. You know what? 
take all the world, switch it around and have it help us as Christians. That would really help. That would. I'd still take God's help. That's all the world. Every single human on planet Earth saying, I'm about Eric Ludy's spiritual life. I want to help him. I would still say with absolute confidence that God's help is still better. The way we have it is the ultimate adventure. Because all hell, all hell, it's true. All hell, all this world is against us. And we have the greatest advocate. We have the one in all the universe that could pull it off. And he has a smirk on his face saying, Yin, because we'll do it. We'll do it together. It'll be all me, but we could do it together. That's exciting. Let's pray. Precious Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give that sight of soul, the ability to see the cross, the ability to see the risen Lord, the ability to see the ascended Jesus that sits at the right hand of the Father, that all authority is invested in you, Lord Jesus, that we would understand that when we pray in the name of Jesus, that we are praying in the name of the almighty, all-authoritative one. This is no measly name. This is the all-powerful one. And you lend us, you give us the ability to speak and to ask in that name. It is as good as done. Lord Jesus, give us faith. Bring back faith to your church. May we see what has been accomplished in the heavenlies. And may we see it come to this earth as it is in heaven. Please, Lord Jesus, do not leave us in the state that we are today. Take us onward and upward. Please, Lord Jesus, for those of us that are apathetic, breathe life into our souls. For those of us that have been doubting, that have been struggling with staggering, please make our feet stand on a rock. Give us life and health within our souls. Lord Jesus, I love you. I pay tribute to you. I worship you and adore you. You are a great God. It's in the precious name of our mighty King Jesus that I ask this. Amen.